interview people from the world of education who interest and inspire me. Now, this is another conference takeaway episode where I find myself at a wonderful maths conference. I sit down with a wonderful delegate and we talk about some of the wonderful things we've seen. Now, I couldn't find a wonderful delegate, so <laughs> I'm back with Joe Morgan. Thank you, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is, uh, is it a year on since BICME? Since BICME, yes. Um, yeah, slightly different, isn't it? Because BICME is the British Congress of Mathematics Education, which is a big joint event. This is the ATM MA conference, so very similar, but um, not the kind of large scale um, once every. Oh, how often's Big Meet? Four or something? I think it's four, four years, years, yeah, so not the same. Now, form. as a big name in the MA that you are. <laughs> Um, is this this the first? Is this the first time ATM and MA have come together for a conference? Oh no, I don't think that's no. the case. No, I'm not sure. Um, it was there was a date clash where we where we chose the same dates, and then um, um, so the MA cancelled the conference, and then the ATM kindly let us come in with them. Um, so normally there would be two conferences at Easter, and, and there will be next year. The ATM will have one before Easter, and the MA will have one after Easter, which I'm excited about because that's going to be two nights, mm. which is slightly shorter than usual. Yes. Got a lovely venue in Bedfordshire lined up, um, and I'm yeah I'm really looking forward to that one next year because two nights is going to be a lot easier for me. It's very hard for me to come to this one because it's three nights away from my kids. My husband's got a week off work, um, so yeah, it's um, I, I'm really excited about that. Um, but the, interestingly, earlier I spoke to an ATM. Um, someone from the ATM and I asked how many ATM conferences there've been. She said this is probably around the fiftieth or something wow. like that. Um, yeah, they've been going. I guess I guess they've been going since the ATM started. I, I don't know the dates, but certainly been at, at least fifty of these. Um, and the MA probably have had annual conferences for even longer. Um, so there's a real history here. And and I spoke to Lynn McClure recently, yep. who told me that. This used to be the the MAATM stuff at Easter used to be the only way that maths teachers could communicate with each other or they could learn. Um, so it used to be that there was this big annual uh, Easter event and everyone would come and everyone would share ideas and 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 look at research and all that sort of thing. Um, and now there's obviously a lot more because we've got the internet and we've got a lot more events going on. But it used to be basically local authorities running stuff and the ATM and the MA running stuff and that wow. was it. So it used to be like the absolute highlight and it's where everyone um, everyone who wanted to kind of further their practice and learn stuff would come to this conference every year so it's certainly not as big as an event as it used to be because other things have come in um but it's um yeah it's it's a nice diverse mix of people here um and i've certainly met some lovely people today so it's gonna be a good conference well good facts there you a good history there. and also a good <laughs> plug one year early for the ma conference <laughs> yeah i'm really excited easter about that. 2020 yeah yep. fantastic okay so right little confession to the listeners here I've arrived too late. So the only thing I could talk about today would be the music I listen to and the podcast I listen to on the way down and the four burgers I've just eaten <laughs> for, for tea. Um, I wonder if people know how much you eat, Craig, because it is quite I've got impressive. to maximise. Well, I've got a newborn, so food isn't a top priority. Who is now sleeping home. a bit more. He is so, sleeping yeah, a bit more, good news. I've got to maximise food whilst, whilst I'm away. Yeah. Um, so I will, obviously, tomorrow, I will have loads of insights because mm. I'll have been to sessions, um, I'll have run a session and so on and so forth. But fortunately, Joe, you were here on time, so you have, you've been to Colin Foster's opening plenary. I now, did, yeah. before we start, I forgot to do this. 
So when I was at research at Blackpool a couple, about a month ago, Colin Foster uh, was there and I had um, I, I ate a meal with Colin Foster and Anne Watson the night before. And Colin told me a great story. So I thought I'd uh, relate this story just so I've got something to chip into this podcast. <laughs> right? So um, me and Colin were talking about um, designing tasks, writing tasks. Because it was around about the time I was writing my fill in the gaps activity oh, yeah. that we spoke about um, in the Northants um, episode. And I was describing it to Colin. I was showing it to Colin. He was very, very kind. Um, and I said... I tell you what, Colin, you must have some great experience here because you worked very closely with one of the greatest task designers of all time, Malcolm Swan. And it was one of my one of my many regrets in my life is that um, Malcolm hasn't been on the the podcast because Malcolm sadly died uh, probably a couple of years ago, years ago now. So I said to Colin, what was it like um, kind of working with Malcolm in particular in terms of task design? And he said it was fascinating because what, what would happen is Colin would come with an activity that he'd written and he'd show it Malcolm for a bit of advice. Mm-hmm. And Malcolm would look at the activity and let's say, for example, the, the fifth question in Colin's activity, he'd, he'd put a four. So say it was like four X plus one. Mm-hmm. And Colin said Malcolm would just look at it and say, why have you put a four there? And Colin would be like, oh, oh, should it not be a four? Should it be something else? And Malcolm would be like, oh, I don't know, just just wondering why you put a four there and he said that was the kind of level of detail he would go in he would think through not just the sequencing but you had to justify why every single number was there because everything was serving a particular purpose and he saw things as so activities as entire sequences as as whole things as opposed to kind of individual questions Mm. and it just made me revisit you know you know the um the shell center stuff yes so here's a good fact for you um, they cost, if you if you look at the amount of money spent on them in total and mm-hmm. divide them by the number of activities, I think there's 100 activities in, in total. Mm-hmm. I think it's £30,000 per activity. So they were, I think I'm, I think I'm quoting <laughs> that right, because they were written, they were rewritten, they were trialled in hundreds of schools right, in the okay. US and yeah. UK. Um, and they are like, they're some of the best kind of sequencing of questions. And you've got all kind of student responses. You've got yeah. assessment grids. You've mm-hmm. got absolutely everything. And I speak to a lot of teachers and they're just not even aware that those things, those things exist. No, they're not. And the thing is, so like, whenever I tweet about anything to do with um, that sort of thing, people always say, oh, have you seen Math Assessment Project? And yes, I use that a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's American. Yes. Um, so some of the language in there is very American, but the resources are amazing. I've right. always used them. And um, but it was a long time ago now, so probably four and a half years ago when I was very new to Twitter that Mark McCall said something like what uh, what how terrible it is that a lot of teachers don't know the red box. Yes. And I didn't know what the red box was. I knew the standards unit Ooh. box um, and I use that. I mean, every school has that. I've actually got three of them at home <laughs> and takes up all the space. Um, but the um, the red box, I didn't know. And then I went and uh, looked on the Shell Centre website and, and it's a book, The Language of Functions and Graphs. Yeah, or something. I, I don't right. know why I call it the red box. I mean, it's red, but I don't see it anyway. So it's, it's, a, it's a great book. And what I would like is that book retyped up because it's scanned. Yeah, so so that's it's, right. it's hard to use it yeah. because it's not good quality. So um, 
it'd be nice if someone just actually rewrote that book so that it was exactly the same as it is, but in a, in a more usable format because it's fantastic. There's some um, great, there's some amazing stuff, isn't there? There is. And have you seen the um, the stuff on SMP that's yeah. recently come out? So that's Christian's. Christian, yeah, Christian Brockovey led that project where they've scanned in all the old SMP books. So I love this kind of, um, there's been so, there has been all these good things that have been lost. And I don't think that the Malcolm Swan stuff has been totally lost because people still use standard unit yes. and they still use um, the map stuff. But um, certainly some of it just needs to be kind of shared. I wrote a blog post four years ago after Mark McCourt said that and it was called The Hidden Treasures of Shell Centre. Nice. Um, but yeah, that was a long time ago and a lot of people that weren't reading my blog then who won't have seen that. Well, maybe we'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Let's yep. do that. It's a very old post now, but it's certainly um, it is a shame Timeless, that people don't see it. It used to be that you would do a PGCE, and on your PGCE, one of the only things I'd tell you about would be Enrich and the, yeah, and the standards yeah, unit yeah. box. And now um, there's all this school-centred training going on where it might be that some trainees are never told about standards unit and stuff like that, possibly. don't know. So I think it's all, it's all getting a bit lost in the teacher training routes. Well, we're going to put a link to that. We're going to start putting that right now, Joe Morgan. Yeah. So that's it. Well, that's literally all I've got to contribute to that, so I might, as well, I might as well just leave you to it. So tell me about Colin Foster. What, what was Colin talking so, about? So, um, you know what? I don't think I've seen Colin speak before. Obviously, I know all his resources, and I know everything he writes, and he's brilliant, and I'm a big fan, but I don't think I've seen him speak before. It was very, very good. It was called Learning from the Learners. Um, for a start, he opened by talking about the, um, how lovely the conference is from the point of view of, he says that his wife goes to law conferences where there are like the people who write stuff. So the, the authors and the speakers and the, all the authorities, mm. the, you know, the people that are influencers and they don't talk to the delegates and it's almost like the separation. And he said, what's really lovely about these mass conferences is that everyone just kind of mixes it together. Nice. And it was, um, and he talked about a very early conference that he went to an ATM or an MA conference where he, um, he asked um, someone very experienced their advice because he was a new teacher and the advice he was given was listen to the learners and learn from them. Um, so that was kind of the uh, the focus of his talk was about, and it's really interesting because he talked about if you're circulating around a class and they're all working on something, um, he talked about how you could stop and say, oh, how are you getting on? Or, or what are you doing there? And I do that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll stop and say something, whereas yes. actually I should just stop and look and ah, not speak. Yes, yes. So I think I'm very guilty of saying, oh, so, you know, what is it you're doing there? Or how are you getting on? And actually they need to get used to the fact that you will stand over their shoulder and you won't say anything and they should just keep working. Yes. And it'll take a while to build that culture where they'll just keep working. Yeah, so you can imagine the kids just stopping. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. They, and, they, and they kind of feel like they have to perform or something. Exactly, whereas actually exactly. you just want to watch what they're saying. Um, so, and he also talked about... Um, he was. He said no good decision was ever made in a swivel chair. And that's general pattern, that quote. And he's oh, talking okay. about how you make good decisions in armchairs, not swivel chairs. Oh. So you need to, and I guess the idea is that you sit and think about it. So he was saying that if he's, if he's, if he's talking about something he's seen in a lesson and he's saying, what, what could we have done in that situation? Mm. He's not saying, what would I have done if I'd been the teacher? Because he's saying he probably would have done exactly what that teacher did. Yes. But he's saying, what would I do if I was sitting back in an armchair, having mm. thought about that situation and reflected on it? And, and you know, how, you know, give, having had time to, you know, in hindsight, what could we do in that situation? And then how can that affect, how can that change our future teaching? Um, which is, I think that's, that's a really good point. Because, you know, I do lots of observing of lessons. Um, and giving feedback and actually I so often say well, I so often think I would I would be doing that differently right now yes. but actually no I should you know I, I probably would do the same thing yes. the teacher did but you know and it's, I'll it's, tell you the, the interesting thing there Joe as well is 
whenever I'm lucky enough to observe a teacher, the feedback tends to be pretty much straight after the lesson. Yeah, without and any neither, reflection. Neither of us yeah. have got time to... So if I say to the teacher, what might you have done differently? Well, they've, they've no time to think yeah. and, and reflect yeah. on it. That's interesting. I like that. I've had some good situations lately where I've been teaching a number of Year 7 lessons in a row with the same lesson. So oh, I, yes. I did it recently. I was only doing... I did three in a row the same. And during the first one, I realised I had to totally change my lesson. Mm. And then and then I had a you know, 30 second changeover between yeah. lessons where I told I just I, I rewrote. I can't say I do starters because I get told off now. <laughs> I rewrote the starter. Let's say the activity at the beginning of the lesson. Yes. Um, I, I totally had to change that because I knew that the one. Oh, because I used an activity from an old smile resource. Oh, yes. And um, they had no idea what to do. Um, do you remember so, what it was? Just out of interest. That's a good question. Let's see. What were we doing? Um, we were doing... Oh, it was... You know what it was? It was... I was doing a, a lesson on area okay. with Year 7. And I started with one which was counting squares. Mm-hmm. But it was all these kind of odd shapes with um, triangles and right. all sorts. And and so the problem is that to count... Counting the squares was harder than it looked. Yes. Because when I looked at it, I saw... Um, I You know, because it wasn't just that there were like half squares. Mm. There were little bits. And, right. and the way that you could see that though, how, how to fit them together was by seeing big shapes ah, that had been cut okay. in half. And they just couldn't see it. Yes. So that's a really bad activity if, if you're starting a lesson with it and you want sort of them to come in and start working on it. Mm. And everyone's saying... Saying, what how on earth do I do this because <laughs> yeah. then I had to sort of straight away as they're coming in saying well let me show ah, you an example right, okay. and that's not a good way to start if you're having to show an example and you just wanted you know yes, all yes. I was trying to ascertain was I, I just wanted to get that idea of counting squares mm. because my lesson wasn't about counting squares to find area it was about it was about what area is and how we can efficiently find areas of rectangles yes, and yes. then and then taking that on and we, and we were looking at cuboids and stuff but I just wanted a little way in through hey Counting squares gives us area, yeah, and, it, and it just totally backfired. But that's it was a really nice smile activity because um, I do use, I do sort of dip into really old resources and use things like that, and it just totally backfired. Well, on what me. do you think the pur- just just what, what what was the purpose of the activity? What what how would you use it now? What, what do you reckon you were trying to get out with there? Um, actually, let's think. So there's the the sort of understanding the area that counting squares gives you area, but actually, I think I guess it was just more a. I want to say problem solving activity because mm. I don't like labeling things as problem solving sure, activities. Sure. But I guess it, you know, because it required a bit of, um, it just required a bit of, kind of reasoning, str- maybe. Yeah, I don't and a know. bit of strategy to. Yeah, to it was. Work yeah, out you're right. It was strategy because, and it, to me, it was just straight away. I was like, well, can't you see if you draw a big rectangle yeah, there, yeah. that is, big rectangle's been cut off? It's classic curse of knowledge. Yeah, that, isn't it? and That's I couldn't very see it. That's very interesting. And actually, but by the, you know, by the end, some of them were really excited because they done there were say six questions on it i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to tweet a link to this yeah, activity definitely. people can have a look at it but um some of them were just pulling their hair out because they had no idea what i was talking about mm. um and the, and the problem uh, the, the big problem was and this is something that i am very guilty of doing a lot is i picked the task and didn't do it yes. so i chose that task for my lesson and i thought squares yeah, area go good wrong. start yep. and i didn't just when I printed out, and actually, it's another thing, never print before you've done it, because sometimes you'll print and you think, well, I've printed that now, yeah, and I can't print it. again because yeah, I've got a print yeah, budget yeah. issue. Yep. And then, actually, you need to print one copy, fill it in yourself yeah. and do it, and then print. Um, I did that the other day where I was printing a GCSE resource, and I printed 30 copies on A4 on A3 paper. Then I went to do the answers, so I worked out all the answers and realised there were some questions that I didn't mm. like the order of, yeah, or I didn't yeah, like the way yeah. the question was, whether yeah. there were some typos. Yeah. I'd already printed it, 
So, yeah, I think this is a lesson for, for everyone, including me, is to Correct. print one, one sheet of it, work out the answers, do the task yourself, make sure it's the right task, yeah, and then yeah, print yeah. the rest. Yeah, so in that lesson, I realised there was no way could I do that in the next two lessons. So I had to then come up with a starter that then didn't need printing that I could just have on the board. In 30 seconds. In 30 seconds. And I had, but, but, you know, I know resources enough that yeah, I could yeah. do that. Resourceaholic. Yeah, I'm good what at that. You, what did you do? <laughs> I actually totally changed the whole... What I did was... Oh, this is ridiculous. People are going to think I'm stupid. So I, um, I linked... I Instead, I replaced it with a problem where it was a perimeter problem where they had algebra for the sides. Okay. And, and, then, and then the extension was how could we work out the area... Oh, well, so basically they had to work out the, it was a rectangle and they had to um, form an equation. So I said right. the perimeter so equals this yes, level. Yes, yes, and yes. all I was doing there was checking that they understood or they remembered the previous topic, mm. which was forming and solving equations. Right, okay. So a totally different way into that lesson. Yeah. And but, was, yeah. See? It, but again, because this, this is the thing, this is why I think Bruno Reddy once, once spoke about this, that when they opened King Solomon, yeah. he was teaching the same lesson, I think five times in yeah. the day, and he just got better and better and yeah. better throughout the Absolutely, day. Absolutely, yeah. And yet we, we just can't do this, can we? Like if, if In normal kind of yeah. circumstances, you teach a lesson, it's it's crap, or there are a bit of it's rubbish. You wait a year. And it's a year. Yeah. A year goes yeah. by. So in my new job, which I'm incredibly excited about, because I'm going to be teaching just year seven and eight next year. And I so I will get the chance to, yeah. to improve my teaching on the spot. It'd be amazing. Um, and it's such a good opportunity to reflect. And it's um and it, it's less workload because um you know I won't have as many lessons to plan, but yet my lessons should be a lot better. You'd so, hope. Yeah, you'd hope. If the bad with issues. But um yeah, isn't it funny that what, there are there are so many different ways into a lesson? Um, what did you do the third lesson? I stuck with the one it I did in the second lesson because it went better, yeah. Um, but the problem with that, well, I mean, I like to have things printed out when they come in. And yes. I do print more than the average teacher, I think. You know, I always say, no one's going to sack me for all the printing I do because, you know, you can't sack a math teacher. <laughs> but um, I, do, I do print too much. Yeah. I mean, if, if listeners are wondering why we're kind of skirting around the starter issue, listen to the uh, Mark <laughs> McCourt uh, interview, which will come out after these these two days at ATMMA. I'll put this out in a couple of weeks. We go we go deep into starters and we have a bit of a disagreement about yeah. it. Let's, let's just leave it at that. Yeah, I shouldn't say so I don't how, like to admit it. How do, how do we get onto this? We're Colin Foster. We're um, listening to learners. <laughs> oh, because I was talking. Because oh, he was saying if when he observes a lesson. Oh yes. He. Yes. It's easy to say. Oh, in hindsight, I would have done that. That's but right. but actually, so he is not saying if I'd been a teacher, I would have done that because he probably would have done the same thing the teacher Got did. It. So for example, he said if um, if a you see a, a, a child puts up their hand and he was in the situation and they had this question. 3a to the power of 4 times 2a to the power of 5. Say that to me one more time. So it's just index law. So it's 3a to the power of 4 yeah. times 2a to the power of 5. Okay. So, um, and they were, they were saying, um, do I times those and those and add those and those, or do I add those and those and times those Classic, and those? So they didn't yeah. have the language to yeah, express yeah, their yeah, question, yeah. Um, but also they, they just, they were stuck. And, and he said that this, this child was anxious because they'd been given 10 questions to do and they didn't want to. They didn't want to spend time. They they just wanted to be told by him how to do it because then they could catch up. So they wanted to get those ten questions right. So when he said, "Well, what do you think?" Yeah. they sigh and they're like, "Can you just tell me?" Oh, because okay. they don't like the fact that they're not going to get ten out of ten. Yes. And if, they, if he just tells them, and they think, "Right, I'll get the rule and I can just do it." So anyway, he said, "You know, there's various things we could we could say to the student in the situation, and then he let us all have a discussion about things we could say." Um, one of his suggestions was um, 
that they could write down two possibilities. He, he would write down two possibilities. Well, what if it's this and what if it's this and what does that mean? And he talked about substituting values and stuff like that. But it was um, the interesting thing was just saying if, they, if they're stuck and you say, well, what do you think? Yeah. The point is they're stuck. They, yeah, they don't, I mean, they, they can give some ideas, but the point is that if them saying they don't know how to do it means they don't know how to do that's it. That's really interesting. Because um, that's, my, that's my default response to that. Yeah, so what do you think? Yeah. I'm going to have to rethink that one. <laughs> Flipping out. Okay. I, don't think, I don't think it's a bad thing to say, what do you think? Because then they might say something and they then you might can start. Pro- to, yeah, yeah so that's a they might not just want to kind of commit it to paper, exactly. but happy to discuss yeah. it. Yeah, but that's interesting. Yeah. No, I like but that. it was interesting that he said that this girl just sighed at him. Yeah, I can imagine yeah. that. I can imagine that. Um, but the, the interesting thing is then he talked about... Um, about how when we do a question like that, like, you know, I know that um, if I've got 3a to power 4 times 2a to power 5, I know that I do the 3 times the 2. Yes. Um, and I know that I do, I add the indices. Yeah. And I could, I suppose, in my head, maybe I'm thinking it's 3 times a times a times a times a mm. times 2 times a. But I'm not thinking no, that. Not at all. And so I can do that without, you know, I've got the understanding, but I don't, I don't, you know, it's not like that's going on in our heads all the time. So he said he was talking about what it means to do something with understanding, and does it mean that every time we do it, we have to we have to yeah. we have to think about the underlying concept? Because of course we don't. Mm. We don't think about the underlying concept every time because we we um, we know the underlying concept, and that means that we have this fluency. Anyway, that led on to him talking about algorithms, which was the main focus of his okay. talk. And now um, this is really interesting to me because he he was very brave talking about algorithms at yeah, a, wow. a, a, um, an event like this. Um, a room full of people that hate algorithms um, and he said um, he talked about obviously how maths is obviously much more than algorithms and we all know that um, but he, he talked about some beautiful algorithms and some that um, and some algorithms that he basically said that they allow us to solve problems which we know so basically you know we can't they allow us to tackle complex problems mm. so we, we, you know we don't want to not have not use algorithms because everything would take forever any examples of beautiful ones? Or? He said the Euclidean algorithm, which is something I talk about in my highest common factor um, talk. He talked about one that I don't well, know. Which, which, just remind me. Euclidean. Euclidean. So you can use it to just use subtraction to find a highest common yeah, factor. Yeah, you talked about this in the Educating North Yeah, podcast. and that's really fun. I like the Euclidean algorithm. He talked about one that I don't know, and I don't know how to say it. So it's <laughs> e, e, um, E-I-J-K-S-T-R-A. Not Dijkstra's, not with the D at the front. Oh. Have you missed a D off? Have I written E and I meant D? Yeah, I think What's you're probably right. Yeah. So is that a D1 thing? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah that is beautiful. That is um, beautiful. Yeah, so I don't know anything about D1, never done it. So he talked, and then he talked about long division, mm. which some people would disagree. Um, is a nice algorithm. I'm not a big fan of long division, mm-hmm. um, but he did say that if someone came up with your class came up with it as a way of dividing, yeah, you'd be really it. impressed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he said that, you know, whatever you think about kind of algorithms, um, the point is that they, he said they can stifle creativity, but not knowing them can stifle creativity. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and so... Um, yeah, that's interesting. And he also talked about questioning well-known algorithms, which was nice. So, he, Can I just ask, did he go into whether you needed to understand why the algorithm works before using it? Um, and if not, did, do, you, do, you have a, do you have a view on that? Yes, he talked about... Uh, did he talk about that? I'm trying to think. Um... It just seems no. Of course, we shouldn't talk to teach algorithms without knowing how they're used. But I'd say that most students have no idea how long division works. Mm. Um, so this is my problem with long division: is that I know some people really like it, um, and I get what it's doing. And it's it's doing. There's there's various ways of dividing. Long division is just one format of laying it out. I just think that most people do that totally procedurally. In fact, mm. probably most maths teachers mm. don't really know how that's working. 
Um, so he said, the, the algorithms are like tools that we can use because we don't need to reinvent things every time. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure he specifically spoke about. I don't know. Let's think about some algorithms and whether we need. I mean, to... the classic one everyone always comes to is dividing fractions. That's that's the classic. I find just because yeah. I've spent so many bad lessons trying to explain why you flip over the second yeah. and change the divide to a times. Yeah, see, I've just written a chapter on that for my book, so I've been looking at the Another various different there, ways. Work, yeah, so work. the various different ways of uh, dividing fractions. Um, and, and and essentially they all come down. I mean, you can there, there's actually there's a number of explanations as to why the multiply the, by the reciprocal works, and there's some really neat ones. But I have a feeling that even if you show that and they get it, I don't think they'll necessarily remember it. Mm. They can then learn the algorithm and they'll know how to do it. But I don't think they'll necessarily remember there's that thing about how it works. I don't so know. The, the thing that I've always found, I talk about this, I might as well plug my book, I talk about this in my uh, <laughs> I Wish I'd Taught Maths, is that it always felt to me, and I don't know if you felt this, Joe, but I felt pressure that I had to justify why the algorithm worked. And even if the kids didn't really understand it, as long as I'd attempted to explain it, then we were all allowed to use it. Whereas I know, like, half the kids didn't have a flipping clue what was going on with some of these, some of the algorithms. Yeah. But I felt this need that I have to justify it. Whereas now I think I'd be more tempted if it was a tricky algorithm just to teach them how to do it. And then next lesson or next week I could go to them and say, you know this thing that we're all really good at and we're all really successful at. Now I'm going to show you why it works as yeah. opposed to trying to justify it beforehand. But I, I, think, yeah, I, think I know that, that doesn't go down particularly well. No, it doesn't well. go down well. And the, but the thing is that's been debated forever. Yeah. You know, Because I read lots of old stuff, um, historical writings on maths education and no one's ever agreed on, no. um, on which order to do that in um so i don't know but I, I i think that there are certainly a lot of algorithms that i'm trying to think they're probably algorithms that i've never really thought about how they work mm. um so it doesn't mean that you can't use them fluently um but i guess you have more chance of remembering so it's like the 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 thing that i've been i tweeted about recently about a way of doing algebraic division um, or even the grid method for algebraic division as opposed to long division. Yes. For, for me, the grid method and the other way that I've been tweeting where you sort of write down three brackets and if anyone saw my tweet, I know what I'm talking about there, but the, there's, there's some really, they're very logical and they're very intuitive. Mm. And so it's easy to remember how to do them because it's totally, it just right. makes sense. Okay, yes. Whereas I think with long division, and the thing is with this, is that with the, get people say to me, I've always taught long division and it's, and it's always worked fine for my students, so why on earth would I do anything yeah. differently? And it's like, well, yeah, I've always, I always taught it and it always worked fine for my students. I'm not saying, oh, no one got it yeah, when I taught sure, it. Sure. But I think it's easier to remember over the long term. Mm. So I don't mean just remembering for the test at the end of the year, but over the long term, it's easier to remember something that's more intuitive. Yes. So I think if you sort of choose the methods that are that are just most the most logical, yes. then they stick in your head a bit more. Do you know what? I've had this recently, you know, I'm going to admit, so I've never told this to anybody, Joe, but I'm just, I've had a latte, so it's all, it's, all, it's all coming out here. So for 14 and a half years of teaching, yeah, teaching A-level, I've taught, for solving trig equations, I've taught cast diagram. Yeah, right? okay, yeah. And for that exact reason, that it's it's always, it always seems fine. Like, yeah, it the, works, the, the, yeah, the I kids get get it. Yeah, I've always do, done yeah. it. And I've, there's always a big divide amongst maths A-level teachers, yeah. cast versus teaching the, the graph, with graphs. Yeah. And I've never done graphs because I, I understand cast yeah. and I think I can explain it fairly well and the kids get it. But you're right, you know, it's only when you tr 
force yourself to try the other method and try it in a positive way. Like if yeah. I go in and say, yeah. there's two ways of doing this. There's this brilliant cast and then, oh, I've got to show you this crappy graph. Like, <laughs> the kids are going to go team cast. But I was uh, doing some work in a school recently and I just thought, I'm going to gamble on this. I'm yeah. going to go in, I'm going to pretend I've never heard of cast. Yeah. I'm going to go graphs. Well, like a bloody dream, you know. Yeah, it's not better than that. Yeah, I, I take And it go, goes back back to what you said. It's, it's intuitive, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's logic. Cast it's quite abstract. Yeah, cast totally white, procedural. White. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, people will say it's not. But the thing is, I used to do um, the cast diagram and, and we called it and we used to say, because I lived in a, I taught in a place called Cheam, so we said all stations are Cheam because you have to start yeah. with that A. Yeah. It's very dangerous calling it cast. Yeah, yeah, a quadrant, yeah. let's call it. So when I used to teach the quadrant, I did it because the textbook did it, which was the same as a lot of my A-level teaching. Yeah. I did what the textbook told me yeah. to teach. Um, and then the reason I stopped doing it was a really ridiculous reason. I, um, You know how you never have enough time at A-level? And I realised one year I was short on time because there'd been like a fire alarm or yep. something. And given that you have to teach the graphs anyway for trig graph transformations, oh, to yeah, save yeah. my, because the cast diagram, whatever it's called, the quadrant, takes a couple of lessons right. because you have to do a couple of different directions. Yeah, it, yeah, there's yeah, a, there's yeah, a few course. little rules to learn there. So it, I realised that it would take me one fewer lesson if I did nice. it using graphs. So that was it. Um, and that's the reason I stopped doing it. And then, so that one year that I did it just to save time and I decided I'm just going to not teach that diagram this year I was like why did I used to teach that diagram so yeah I didn't go back and the thing is I do think I mean again you'll have loads of people saying well I teach it and it works fine yeah fine keep teaching it then but there you have to you have to really commit and, and teach something and see how it goes because the first time I stopped teaching long algebraic division and I did the grid method, I had been I it had been about two years of me building myself Ooh, up to do that. Yeah, yeah. And then the one the one time I was like, right, this year I am gonna go for it and teach a new method. And then obviously then there's no going back because I prefer That's it. Right. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, you do have to be a bit brave to try a new algorithm. Um, but I do think that the, the the things that are more intuitive are easy to remember over the long term, and that's hard for us to assess because we don't tend to assess, particularly at A level, long term yes. um, recall. It's the thing the thing that's really noticeable to me with that is the factorizing non monic quadratics. Whereas I always do it by just what, you, what word are you saying? Non monic. So I that's where so a monic is where you've got an x squared at the start, yes. one x squared. Yeah. So a non monic quadratic would have like five x squared at the start. Something. So when you when I factorize non-monic quadratics, I just write two brackets, and right. then I just put I just I just try the things yeah, that work, and, and you do it. You know, you, you get pretty quick at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas I remember I used to teach when I taught at the grammar school, and the girls were very procedural yes, in their approach, yes, and yes. they said, um, they said, "Oh, Miss, can't you show us yeah, a method?" I and I didn't know a procedure then, so I looked online and I found the people call it all sorts of things, but the AC method or the grouping method, you know, where you you uh, multiply a by c and then you oh, okay. and then you end up kind of splitting the middle term yeah, you know I know what I mean? exactly what you mean. so i then taught them that but I, I i didn't know it myself so i showed them yeah, instructions yeah. And, and 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 we tried some and i was like yeah this works but you know i wouldn't do it like this but if you if you all prefer it. and so they all they all said yeah we prefer the procedural way and then these were really, really bright girls. These would all get an A star mm. and a GCSE. But it was the one thing that really stood out in the just before their GCSE when we were doing some revision lessons. It's the one thing where they couldn't remember it. So they probably got it right in the exam because they revised it like that morning. Yeah, yeah. But they struggled to remember that method because there's, it's not logical. It's yes. not an intuitive method. Whereas the putting it into two brackets, you can't forget that. That's right. um, so I do think that the more procedural something is, the harder it is to, to remember it. 
Um, and yeah, they probably, they could do that method. And then they'll, again, there'll be loads of people saying, well, I teach the grouping thing and yeah, it works yeah, fine. Yeah. And it probably does work fine. But why don't you try, you know, there's no longitudinal studies. So we could say, how about in 10 years now from now, we take a group of students who were taught the, mm. write it in two brackets. Mm. And we take a group of students who were taught the grouping method. Yep. And I bet the grouping method, a lot have forgotten how to do that. But I bet That's the two brackets method, the sort of classic guess and check, will know how to do it. Can I ask with your, again, because you've already plugged your, your forthcoming book, so we, we, it's fine to talk about it. With your um, with, with the fractions thing you've been writing, yeah. have you, has it made you change how you teach dividing fractions? Or, is it, or has it made you change how you explain why the division I see, this is interesting because I haven't, because it's been so long since I've talked much Key Stage 3, but I'll be teaching a lot of it next year. Mm. So I guess when it comes to it next year, I'll have a good think about it. Yeah. Um, I, I quite like the common denominator approach when you divide fractions. Just just describe that one. Well, let, let's say I wanted to do two-thirds um, divided by um, one-fifth. Yep. Then I could write them both as fifteenths. Okay. Um, so that gives me ten-fifteenths divided by three-fifteenths. Yep. And that's ten divided by three. That's not yeah. a very good example. But the yeah, answer, okay. the answer no, is ten yeah, over yeah. three because you've got ten-fifteenths and you're dividing yes, by yes, three. Yes, you know, yes. kind of makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. And it's the same kind of language as... I change the way I talk about fractions a lot, the, the sort of language I use. It's like when I, when I do algebra and I'm doing collecting like terms, instead of saying 2x plus 5x equals 7x, I'll say, when I'm having a conversation with them, I'll say, look, I've got two x's and I'm adding on five x's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many x's have I got? Yeah, and, yeah. and I do a lot of that kind of um, talking about these things in a sort of, it's the way, just a slight tweak mm. to the way I say things. And I found the same with fractions. So when I'm teaching um, adding fractions, I'll say, um, well, once we've got a common denominator, then I'll say, look, I've got five sevenths and I'm adding on one sevenths, one seventh. How many sevenths have I got? Yeah, and, and the yeah, thing is yeah. that they then need to obviously be able to do that without that scaffolding from sure. me. But it's that it's about the idea of the, the unit. So mm. sevenths is the unit mm. there. And in this case, fifteenths is the unit. I've got 10 oh, units divided by three units, which gives that's me 10 over three. I like um, so I quite like the idea of common denominator. But um, oh, no, I think the... In the multiplied by the reciprocal is just the quickest, probably. And, you know, I've been playing around with lots of them. I like stacked fractions, for example. So two-thirds divided by one-fifth, I would write as um, two-thirds over one-fifth in a big complex fraction, oh, yeah. a multi-layer fraction. And then I multiply three by five, and I multiply three oh, by wow. three, and it all goes away. Yeah, yeah. But the problem with that is that's really good. I'll tell you where that works really well. Something like six divided by a half. Yeah. Where you just write six over a half and you just multiply top and bottom by two. Yes. And it's just yes, gone. Yes, yes, um, So I quite, but that doesn't work so well for everything. But yeah, there's there's all sorts of things to explore. Um, but so no, I don't know. And I'm gonna, this is where next year I actually get to teach these things. Oh, yeah, so it's going to yeah, be fun because yeah. I'll get to sort of actually really think about which method to choose. And you'll be back on the podcast to talk about that, won't you? Oh, well. Fraction special. <laughs> well, I'm not a fractions that. expert at all. <laughs> Oh, fractions. Well, this um, is only, so any, any, anything more from Colin Foster? We've, um, probably, we've probably talked longer than Colin Foster's actual <laughs> session here. Which we, so we've got so much. He, he the, the, the only other thing was uh, questioning well-known algorithms. So he sh we oh, talked yeah. about bisecting an angle, and then he said, if you cut off the vertex, if we can't see the vertex, can we still bisect it? And we had a play with that. So I like this thing about. Say that to me again. <laughs> don't ask me to talk about constructions. Um you if you bisect an angle, the way oh, that God. we traditionally do it is we make a we do an arc on yeah. each of the oh, what do you call these things? The legs, oh, uh, no, arms, legs or arms. I've got it's one of yeah. Some Let's lim, call them lim, arms. Lim of the angle. Arms. Yeah, yeah. And then and then you move your compass point to where you've drawn those arcs, and you yeah, do, yeah, sure, sure. A bit in the middle, and then he was saying that if you sort of rubbed out the vertex, oh, okay, 
could you still bisect the angle without oh, wow. being able to see that angle? But you got, and, oh, wow. and so we had a bit of a play with that. Now, I am rubbish at constructions. The reason I'm rubbish at teaching constructions is, first of all, really, you need to do that one-on-one. Like, to try and do that mm. with 30 in a class when a lot of them cannot, don't have the dexterity to even draw a circle. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah. really it's, tough. It's a tough lesson, though. Um, and then the other thing is that because I'm kind of not interested in this kind, I like some geometry. Like, I like, I, I, like it, I don't like this kind of geometry right. that much. We all have our preferences. Sure. So I've never really thought about the um, how the constructions work in terms of the congruence mm. and all that kind of thing. Um, Ed Southall was going to do a talk on constructions at the next Lissau conference oh, wow. because I was telling him about how I I don't know how constructions yeah, work. Yeah, I have yeah. no interest, but hey, if he does a good uh, session on it, then I'll learn the that. The Leeds one. The one, the, the, the Sheffield one yeah, that you're not going to be at, yeah. So that's a shame. Yeah, Skype in for that one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we did this constructions thing, and then uh, Colin gave us some of his um, etudes. You know, his really cool oh, tasks, God. which were fun. Which, uh, anyone? There was one. Give we, me a highlight. The, the best one, or the one that I enjoyed the most, was one on. Um, Oh, it was one on um, percentages where he gave oh. us a load of numbers. He gave us 10, 20, 25, 35, 40, etc. He gave us, uh, let's see, 12 numbers. Okay. And then he said it was blank increased by blank percent equals blank. And he just had yes. to, you had to use all the 12 numbers. And in. it was two of them were increased, two were decreased. It was a really, and the, I'll tell you what was really interesting about this. This is a, this is a, a thing on group work. Um, he said, do it with your table. And... Um, I am not a group work sort of person. I really need to think on my own. Yeah. Like, and, and, and You're quite antisocial. Aren't you? <laughs> I just, I don't think well when, sure. I just need some time to I, think. I'd be the same. I just want <laughs> so, a bit of quiet yeah, to crack Yeah, I just, I just need to think about it before I can yeah, start blurting yeah, yeah. stuff out. And the people next to me were having a really good discussion where they started by saying, well, let's pick the most difficult number on the list that we think is going to be a challenge to fit in. So they went for oh, 70, or they said wow. 35 might be difficult. Yep. And then they tried to work from there. And it was fascinating. But the problem was that I was then listening to their discussion. Yeah. And I listened to their entire... And then it got to the point where I was like... And I thought, oh, I'll have a, but I know all the answers now. Well, I know what they've said. And true I can't it, now... Yeah. It. And the thing is, it was really interesting. Listen, and, it, and, I, and I was thinking... This was like exactly the, the focus of his talk, learning from the learners. I was le- I was listening to them and I was getting a lot out of it. So even oh. though I wasn't doing the talk, I was actually getting oh, a lot. Well, you've done from that. a sort of teacher's perspective, I was back. getting a lot out of listening to them. That's very um, interesting. But it was it was yeah, it's a really good task, and he gave us a few his tasks. His are absolutely yeah. I had fun with them. Yeah. I would best give a shout out to to his website where he's got these. If you just Google mathematical etudes, um, or I think it's mathematicaletudes.com is the is the URL. He's got some wonderful stuff on there. And I'm sure that percentage task is on there. Well, so that sounds like a fascinating start it to me. It was great, yeah. I'm almost slightly annoyed. So whilst Colin was doing that, I was probably watching Game of Thrones. Oh, and then, and then oh. Setting off in the car. But anyway, that sounds, if anything, more dramatic than, than, than Game of Thrones. So, Craig has promised not to spoil Game of Thrones to me because I haven't seen it yet. So. Joffrey's back. That's all I'm Sorry. saying. Go ahead, uh, Joffrey. Um, so after that, now am I right in saying you then had, oh, well, you had a meeting, didn't you? I did. I had a meeting uh, with um, Emma Gregory, who is the new maths lead for Ofsted, mm. um, who you've met because you're uh, involved in the Ofsted group. Yeah, What's your group do? Advising on curriculum? I think it's yeah, some kind of advisory panel or something. Our, okay. our names were leaked out in a big freedom of information request, Twitter scandal, <laughs> and it was all happening. I've got police protection. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to change my name and change the location. So yeah, I'm in, a, I'm in a group that meets informally. I think we've met. The group's met maybe four or five times. I've only been to the first one and the last one. And yeah, we just chat and debate and fall out about things. Um, I'd but, love to hear what... I mean, it'd be fascinating to be a fan of the war in those discussions. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I think it is... Uh, what they were saying at this meeting um, is that 
Ofsted is can be very influential, and you know, mm. you know, you you can Ofsted can in an area can go and see a school and see some math lessons and write something in the report, and then in that in that region, everyone will say, "Oh, look at what Absolutely. they wrote there. Let's teach like Correct. that." Correct. So actually, they're incredibly influential. Um, it's great they've got um, Emma taking the lead from us because uh, Jane Jones. It's been a little while now since mm. she's gone. Um, so and the the idea was just to give us an opportunity to meet her. So there was representatives from each of the subject associations at this meeting, and I was very um, grateful to the MA for letting me be involved in that because it meant I got to meet her, and obviously she's an important person with who's um, who's a good person to know. And also in in your meeting, two former podcast guests. Yeah, we've got Dr. Helen Williams and Anne Watson. And Anne Watson, so yeah, it's yeah. A big name. It's a big name lineup. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. A, I felt very privileged to be in a meeting with so much um, experience and. Um, and you know, I think that the they they had a very good point. So I the, the, I don't have much to say about the meeting other than the 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 lack of representation of the subject associations in your group. Yes. Um, because you know, bear in mind that the the, the subject associations um, represent uh, maths teachers and they have tons of experience. And uh, Jane Jones used to come to all these conferences. Mm. And oh yeah, yeah. So, um, she often speak at them. Right? Yeah, she would. Yeah. yeah. And so I think um, it it would be good for the subject associations to continue to have a, a strong level of influence. So it would be good if. If they were kind of if they were involved in kind of like the thing that you're on, um, but it was it was great that she took the time to meet with us today. That's so great. It yeah, it's interesting. That. Yeah. It's, I mean, our, our panels are a really interesting one. I've, I think the thing that was annoying and upsetting people was that it wasn't clear how this kind of panel or group was put together. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and again, I've no idea myself. It was very, well, yeah. it was very, very strange. They asked Emma today, and she didn't know because it was before she yeah, before her time. So strange. yeah. And I'll just put a little warning for for Emma. If I ever invite her on this podcast. Uh, be warned Jane Jones came on this podcast two weeks later she'd retired so I don't know if it, was, if it was related to that so if she wants a long career just just hold off uh, accepting an invite now your meeting over around so you couldn't then go to a no, session no I was going to go to one on times tables which I thought would be helpful given I have daughters at primary school yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I couldn't go and so I sat in the bar with Rob Smith and had a glass of wine and that was nice because Rob Smith is here representing LaSalle. So we had a good chat. And then I had a chat with a guy who um, works or worked and is now retired, um, worked for GCHQ. Jeez. And he told me all about the mathematician community there, which is fascinating. To talk about this? Oh, it's like, top secret. <laughs> but yeah, really interesting. So it's lovely. I like that the sort of um, conversations you have at the bar and a conference oh, with all these fascinating yeah, people. Yeah. And then you had a meal with me and Andrew Taylor. Where and you ate about 10 burgers. I yeah. did. And the key to this is we are assembling our quiz team. Now, l- yeah. listeners to this will remember that BCME last year, bit me last year, myself, Joe and Andrew Taylor, with some other hangers on, you know, we were the three <laughs> main drive force, destroyed the opposition and, and won the, the, the bit me quiz. And it was a very dramatic moment because it came to a tiebreaker, if you remember. Yes, exciting. And the tiebreaker question, all they said was, which artist's albums and Andrew Taylor interrupted and shouted Ed Sheeran and I didn't know whether he'd got Tourette's or something or what was going on he just yelled it out but he, he the interruption worked and yeah. we, we won so we're back tomorrow night we'll be we'll be uh, putting the quiz team together you, you know I have quiz news so I went to a, a Dr Frost holds drinks um, oh, yes. once a term yeah 
Um, and I went to Dr. Frostrink's uh, first, uh, the weekend we broke up for Easter holidays. And, and he had quite a lot this time, so maybe, I don't know, 18 of us, right. 15 maybe. And, and we meet at his house for champagne and then we go, because he has lots of champagne, because yeah. he tutors lots of people and they will give him champagne wow. all the time. And then we went to the pub and the quiz was on. And so, you know, you have this sort of arrogance of where the maths teacher in the sure, pub, so we must be smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we broke into two teams. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, don't want to worry you, Craig, but my team came last. Oh, jeez. Well, <laughs> and I didn't get a single question. No, I didn't get anything. I'd love to say that surprises me. <laughs> and was... the thing is, though, the other team, they... so the team that Dr. Frost was on, and yeah. um, they um, had an argument with the woman running the quiz, and she shouted at them and said that they would be barred if they continued Jesus. to talk to her. So this is a group of respectable math teachers. With Frosty on there. Yep, and, and we almost got kicked out of his local pub. Like, wow. she was very angry. Wow. It was a. It was the answer had been... They'd written uh, Roger Bannister. Was it Four Minute Mile? Yeah, yeah. good. Very good. That comes up to our yeah, not yeah. F- it, Not Four Minute Mile. It was the sub Four Minute Mile. And if you didn't have the word sub, you got it wrong. So that was oh, what the argument geez. was about. Right, yeah. okay. So I haven't got, I haven't got good form well, on quizzes. I could see a bit of an argument to, tomorrow night at this quiz, maybe. There's <laughs> some characters here and it could all be kicking <laughs> off. So we shall see. Um, anyway, so to finish tonight, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be going home on, on early Wednesday because I've actually got a podcast interview uh, to do that I'm very excited about. So I'm going to be back home for that. Um, so I'm going to miss Joe's session, but Joe has kindly agreed to give us a bit of a, a, bit of a sneak preview, a bit of a rundown of, of what she's going to be talking about. Because it's a brand new one, this, isn't it? It is, and I've done a million hours work on this. It's like <laughs> taken over my life. Um, yeah, I'm talking about um, vocabulary, um, but I'm not talking about teaching vocabulary. So I'm not doing the whole Freya model and all the you know right. all the all the examples of yep, the resources yep. we can use. I it's literally just a for interest subject knowledge session okay. on the history of mass vocabulary. Perfect. Um, so and you and love a bit of history of stuff. I do. Right? I, so. I mean, I I read a lot of um, old maths textbooks. Um, and I'm currently reading the book, a book on the history of mass education in this country. Wow. Um, so I've just finished the Augustus de Morgan chapter. It's quite hard. Nice. It's taken me a long time to read this yeah, book, but um, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's fascinating. I really, really like it. And the thing is, um, I'm not suggesting that we need to teach the way they taught in Victorian times. No. You know, it is totally just because I think it's interesting. Yeah, of course. Um, and what was really interesting was the. Do you remember when we were educating North Hans the last time we did a conference mm. podcast? And I went to a primary session where she had a list of words and she'd crossed them out and said, "We yeah. can't say these." Give me some words. So I, she said, um, "We're not allowed to say units. We have oh, to say ones." Yeah, now yeah. I've known that for a while. And I think a lot of teachers have, although I also, I also know I also know a lot of teachers don't either don't know that, don't know that it's yeah, changed, just ignore it. or, or they just ignore <laughs> yeah, it exactly. Um, yeah. Don't say carry, say exchange. And I should just say, right, like when I say there that I'm just I'm still saying units. Like nobody has ever sat me down and said, "This is what you must say." Yeah, like, we've never exactly. had that, right? Well, that, that's the thing is, this is it's what like this, rumors, is, this is a lot right? of what my talk is about. It's about where do these. Where does this these changes yeah, come from? Yeah, good question. So, and I'm going back through three, four hundred years, and, and my main focus oh, wow. is where do these changes come from? So, you know, she had this list of things that we're not allowed to say, and then I thought about it, and I thought my daughters do a lot on number bonds, mm. and they were constantly going on about number sentences, and I don't remember either of those phrases when I was at primary school. Yeah, okay, me too. We yep. didn't. We would have learnt number bonds. We yeah, didn't call them number correct. bonds, and I don't remember number sentences no. ever coming up. And there's other things as well. So these things change, and I guess my question is. Why do they change? And is it through, is it some deliberate force that's changing them? Mm. Um, so for, so what, what I need to do really is find the woman who did this presentation where she's saying, yeah, don't yeah, say yeah. this, and ask her, because she, she was a maths hub person, so yes. maybe this is NECTM. Um, who is, but then where are they getting that from? And, and, and you know, 
Maybe you could ask your new mate from GCHQ, see if he can put a wiretap on them or something to <laughs> get to the bottom of it. But what's really... The interesting thing is that, that some people are saying, for example... Um, Oh, and a lot of it came from the Shanghai stuff. So mm. we should now be saying add N plus add N equals sum and stuff like that. And so I... what? Say that to me again. <laughs> what am I saying? You know, add end. When add you add, end? When you add two numbers together, it's the add N plus the add end equals the sum. And when you subtract, it's the menu end to take away the sub... Oh, take away. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say to take away anymore. I don't know what the correct word is. Subtract, take away, minus, who knows. So, These are all... This is making me sound thick. What's that add end? What? It's the thing you're adding in a sum. <laughs> so like five plus three equals eight. So the five and the three are the add-ends. Yeah, see that's and the thing. We don't what? use this language. And if it's and if it's five minus three or subtract. That's that's the minuend and the subtrahend. And that equals the difference. Yeah? And what happens if it's like five add three take two? Oh no, so you've no, broken it. it. You've broken it. it, yeah. Is it but again, this is just <laughs> like I've literally never heard those words. Um, well, life. that's the thing, and the question is, does so? I think some of this came from Shanghai. I don't know. I need people to tell me, wow. because. Uh, but I think um, yes, there's a there's an import. There's it's important to use the right vocabulary, and we've talked before about how when we teach logs, and we're like, well, here's the log, oh, and there's the base, yeah, and there's the oh, the thing that we don't know yeah, what, what to call that, yeah, yeah. and so they, they, we should be using the correct vocabulary, or are we massively overcomplicating things? And I have a feeling. Again, I, I need people to tell me. When I do this session, I'm very open to people mm. interrupting me to tell me. I have a feeling that Gatekno, who was the big ATM guy, he was very much in favour of removing the words as much as possible okay. from maths because you know he's he's saying that you know that's what's getting in the way. Yes. Um. So, but I don't know why words come and go and why sometimes we're more formal and sometimes we do mm. away with formal language. People are currently talking about using the word vinculum to to describe a fraction bar, oh, yes. but that's that's not even what a vinculum is. Like, there's a total oh, mis. No, a vinculum is, is shows grouping. You put it instead of brackets, oh, you put it over a group of terms. I've told loads of people since I learned that <laughs> word last year. I've told loads of people that a fraction bar is a fraction bar. And, um, and what's a vinculum then? Well, it's a, it's a straight. So say I wanted to. Oh, I'll show you. Oh, I can't show people on the podcast this, but I have like a plus b, and I have a. I have a vinculum over it. On the top? So instead of brackets. They're tricky oh, to wow. typeset. You know, we'd really rather use brackets here, but they used to use vinculums to show grouping. There's a, and, and, then, wow. and then if you put a, um, if you put the radical symbol at the start of a square root, and then you have the vinculum over the top to show it's this whole thing that's being rooted. Hold on. Yeah. The I thought the radical symbol was the square root, no? Yeah, so the, right. bit, of the, the bit of the start. Like the tick? Yeah, the ticky thing, yeah. And then, oh, and then, okay. you, can, then you can, I mean, so we, we, we tend to attach it to a vinculum. Over the top. Oh, Vinculum is a line over the top right. that shows grouping. Yeah. So. so the big, like a square, like if you did the square root of two x plus three. Yeah. It's the li the little ticks the radical, and then the horizontal line that goes over the two x plus three is the vinculum. I believe so, but I may have someone correct me on that. Wow. But basically, vinculum is a line that goes over the top to show grouping, and and even though it is a horizontal line. Um, Fraction bars weren't called vinculums. Now we can start calling them vinculums. That's I fine. Have yeah, I don't. So. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to die if we start calling them vinculums. But people, if people are saying, "Oh, these used to be vinculums," and so we have to bring that yeah, back, it's not quite not right. True. I've done. I've read an awful lot on that to check my facts, and if it was never a, called a vinculum. If we have a vocab round tomorrow night. You might actually bring a bit of value to this quiz team. It would be um, all right. Yeah, that would be my one thing. I can. Can I? Can I say this? This this stage. Um, I don't know if this is relevant to, to, to your talk at all, Joe, but um, I remember Chris Bolton saying something to me um, probably a couple of years ago now that I found very interesting. 
And he said, so he, he did it in reference to the word denominator. Mm-hmm. And he said that a lot of teachers, um, him included when he first started, were really insistent on technical language. So yeah. if a kid said bottom of a fraction, mm-hmm. they're like, no, it's the denominator. Mm-hmm. But then he made the point that if like when kids are adding fractions and they're trying to think so hard about the process or the concept of adding fractions, if they have to stop and ex- exert a bit of attention or a bit of thought or brain power, whatever you want to call it, on what's the name for this thing, yeah, it's only going to make them less likely to be able to, to successfully carry out the procedure so like, or the, the concept. Thing. Yeah. So he said that it's kind of one or the other. You either want it so they know their vocabulary so much so it's just instant. So they just they can just recall it so so easily that yeah. it doesn't take up any working memory capacity yeah. whatsoever. Or you don't go anywhere near terms. the vocabulary. Yeah. You, you call it whatever you want, really simple terms. Yeah. Get them really comfortable with the, the process and then you introduce that vocabulary later. Yeah. Whereas what I've certainly been guilty of in the past is trying to do it at the same time. So yeah. I'm teaching them something new and new vocabulary on top yeah. of it. And yeah. again, it's no surprise when neither of them stick. Well, I'll tell you what's interesting is um, I was reading just today about Augustus de Morgan. Very sensible guy. I really like him. And um, it used to be that um, textbooks the first exercise in in an algebra textbook would be on, here's all the symbols in algebra. Yes. How do you say these symbols? You know, a whole thing on writing symbols. Um, And that's crazy to introduce all the symbols at first when you don't even need them at that. So they should should be introduced as and when they're needed, um, which is how vocabulary is introduced to us in English language. Mm. So, um, yeah, I do think, I don't don't know. But I mean, I've been guilty of saying bottom and top instead of... Well, is it guilty though? I don't know. But yeah, there's a lot of people who are very sort Absolutely. of, you know, you have to use the formal language. Um, I guess I need to I need to know more about this. And there's plenty of ATM people here who are experts on Gategno who will be able to tell me whether he was one of the influencers to remove some of the technical language. I mean, possibly. can you find that out by tomorrow night, do you think? To get it live <laughs> on the podcast? Possibly. I'll speak to some, some okay, experts we'll, we'll here. Um, but the, one of the things I'm talking about in my talk is about yeah. la- names that have become obsolete, or uh, mathematical terms that have become obsolete. I'll give some examples. Um, and also, I have some mathematical terms, or no, so non-mathematical terms that have become obsolete. So, for example... Can we, is there any way we can make this into a bit of a quiz? Could you say a t- is there any like you could say a term and the listeners have to guess what it means or I think could, could you do some kind of quiz? But you know we love a quiz on the podcast. I don't think I have anything that people won't know. Well, well you actually, never know. you never know because I again I, I'm quite okay. In so okay, so this is so we'll know the first one. So this is um, about words in mathematics. Some dead words are remembered because they once mattered, and okay. a good example is. Fluxion. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Fluxion. Flux, fluxion. Spell that out. F-L-U-X-I-O-N. I've literally never heard of that. I, isn't that to do? Isn't that a Newton thing? Isn't it to do with um, calculus? I only do stats. I've no. Okay. If, if Newton, if he's chatting about friction or something, I've no interest. No, in it's it. it's to do with. Okay, that's. I think that's fluxion. A, fluxion. I think that's a calculus thing. Don't know. I've already, I've already, caught, I've already got a D and an E in the wrong place when talking about D one. So yeah. I'm not doing very well tonight. No, you're not ringing any bells. Okay. Though. So um, some some words are. So remembered. is that still here? Is that still here? That word. That's uh, not one you've obsolete. It's not one. In, it's not one in use, but it is. Um, I, I've heard it. <laughs> I don't know enough. I just. I'm not a mathematician. You see, no. so I didn't study maths at uni. And that means that I've never studied the history of maths. I think mm-hmm. if I had, I, I, I'm going to say that's a Newton thing Fine. and everyone will tell me I'm wrong. Okay. Um, because, 
Because it was yeah, it was the Newton Leavenance, yeah. Okay, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna look Foxian. that up. I'm gonna look that up okay, in a minute. Fine. Some are remembered for their curiosity value, like radiogram. Do you know what a radiogram is? <laughs> radiogram. Yeah. Not anything to do with radians? No. I think it's more to do with gram there at the end. So what's what branch of math is this? Gram. At so the end. kind of me- measures, weights? No. Oh <laughs> you've you've lured me in there. <laughs> I think histogram. It's a, it's oh, a type right. of graph. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And this, um, a radiogram. Yeah. And cool. this is, a, they call this an example of a stillbirth. It was a word announced but never subsequently used. Um, and if you look at Carl Pearson, who was the big kind of stats guy, right. and he was at UCL, and I, I, I went to UCL and did stats, which right. is like the home of stats. Um, and he said that his syllabus showed an abundance of fancy terminology, stigmograms, Euthygrams, uh, homograms, topograms, and these are all, I believe, types of diagram. Wow. And the only one that stayed was the histogram. histogram. Wow. Um, and so now, but think... radiogram is now a type of audio equipment, so that, that hasn't disappeared, but it's not what it's it been used to be. Remixed. Yeah. And then this one, um, unless with two S's. Shut up. <laughs> so U N L E double S. Triple S. Triple S. <laughs> I meant triple S. Yeah, I didn't yeah, mean two yeah, S's. Yeah, I meant yeah, three yeah. S's. Yeah. No, that's not a. Well, again, it was like unless unless it was a, again a, a word that was um, that was announced but never took off. So you know, <laughs> no you wonder. know, you know, if with two F's. Oh yes, If yeah. and only if. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I yeah. think so. So uh, this is what. So unless precisely unless. Oh shut up. Oh, yeah. So they. So this is a what term is that. Um, what is... it's on Wolfram. You know, it's 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 still precisely people... unless. <laughs> How's that be useful? <laughs> As opposed know. to what vaguely unless unless is a bit. <laughs> I don't know. Christ. I don't know. But this is really interesting because these are words that um, have gone. Well, yeah, again. <laughs> with good reason. I'd have put a vote in for I'll give you some other gone. words that have gone. What? Thrice. So this is just three? Yeah, well, three times. So three so times. twice yeah, twice okay. is being a, replaced a little bit with two times. That's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, So it we, actually... we say twice all the time. But in some adverts, twice, they, yes. instead of saying twice, they'll now say two times. But thrice yeah. is gone. So is it is it once, twice, thrice? Is that the sequence? Yeah. Wow. And there's there's a four. <laughs> four times. Yeah. But thrice. thrice, so thrice we don't have, and we now thrice say three gone. times. That's a shame. Um, like noon. And this isn't really maths, but noon. We now would say midday more often. Now yeah, I still true, say noon, true. but I always feel a bit weird if I say I'll meet you at noon. It feels really old fashioned. Yeah, it works with afternoon though, doesn't it? That's, it's a good one to keep, is noon. They do, yeah, so afternoon is, is still going, but if you look at, um, there's a really good way of looking at the evolution of words. There's um, Google Books has this thing. So you know, books are, lo- are digitized on Google. Yes, yes. And then that yeah, means yeah. that you can look up a word and you can see its yeah, usage over time. Trend, yeah. So you can see noon has taken a, a, a big bit hit. What's that called? It's like Google Engram. Engram viewer, yeah, yeah, I don't know yeah. what Engram is, but I use it quite a lot. Can, to look can at I do words. a fact? Go fact. on then, yeah. yeah. Um, you'll enjoy this, listeners. So, um, listen, regular listeners will know I'm obsessed with, with sleep, and in particular, Matthew Walker's uh, book, I think it's called Why We Sleep. And I've, I've, Matthew Walker, if you're listening, if you could reply to your e- email and tweets, <laughs> I'm saying you come on the show, that'd be ideal. But here's a good fact for you, Jack. So, um, I was listening to a, a, an interview with Matthew Walker. And he was saying how um, if you 
if you um, don't have any kind of external stimulus like lights or anything like that and um, around you so essentially there's a study they bang a load of people in a cave mm-hmm. right and they just to monitor what happened in terms of their their, their sleep and all this because uh, again a lot of the, the disruption that happens to our sleep is because of tv screens caffeine or all this kind of thing the, the way that the, the uh, our kind of world is shaped so if you just kind of allow people to 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 not be influenced by this and monitor what happens to their sleep two things happen right so the first is people sleep longer and that's right. that's probably no surprise yeah. because again there's there's no kind of uh, alarms buzzing to get you up and all this but the other thing that happens and you'll see what you you might wonder where am i going with this right <laughs> the other thing that happens is people go to sleep earlier so people instead of going to sleep at like 11 at night, midnight, one in the morning, people go and sleep about 7 p.m. So they're sleeping a little bit longer, mm. but not so much that they're, that it, um, it, it's not massively longer. It means they're going to bed about 7 and waking up around about kind of 5 a.m., 4 a.m., right? Hence, that midnight, the word midnight means middle of the night. Oh, right. But for our society... It's, it's certainly not, not is it? It's, it's like really you're lucky if you're in bed for, for midnight. Yeah. But again, middle of the night comes from the fact that it should be, or a good kind of guide to it, if you're sleeping as we're evolved to sleep, yeah. is that midnight should be the middle of our night. Oh, I thought we are sleeping all wrong. Good little fact there, isn't it? That is a good little fact. There you go. Thought, yeah. See, I'm bringing something to this you podcast, are. even though I haven't been here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I like, I like it. That's fascinating, all this stuff about it where, is where words come from. And the thing is, in my talk, I'm not really doing etymology Massively, I, I'm fast, fascinated by etymology, but I'm gonna. I mean, I'm mainly talking about words coming and going. So you know, people at the moment uh, becoming increasingly unhappy with the word cancel, um, oh, whereas okay. I use it all the time. Yeah. And I found examples. Someone used to say instead of cancel, one author used to say expunge. So they would say <laughs> expunge the twos. So they would get rid of the twos, or what I would call cancel the twos. And then so they also, they used to. But one word they did used to use quite a lot instead of cancel was destroy. So they would oh, wow. say, the terms like here, that. I've got the terms in the numerator destroy each other. Wow, that's good. And destroy is actually... It's quite isn't Yeah, it? and like destroy that. is actually used quite a lot. In like what's this, in, in the old old books? Oh, yeah, so textbooks from, say, destroy. 1800s. Yeah, destroy. Um, and actually, the, the title of my talk is um, Clear, Transpose, Destroy, because that's the vocabulary they used to use for solving an equation. So you would clear terms, you would transpose terms, destroy terms... And that would be your steps to solving a linear equation. I'm going to throw something into the mix here. So a book I've read recently is um, The Better, Better Angels of Our Nature. And it's about how, um, as a society, we may think we're becoming more violent because we're aware of all... We, we see any kind of atrocity on the news or on social media. But if you measure it, by every objective measure, society is becoming far, far, far less violent. Mm-hmm. So I wonder whether destroy... The reason that's gone is maybe that was around at a more violent time when people are thinking about maybe. wars and destroying things, and now a bit calmer. So we, uh, so we, we just cancel. cancel. <laughs> I'll throw that into the mix. I do think. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, think, I suppose the question that goes throughout my talk is: Was was this purposefully? Yeah. Were, were things? Um, did we choose to change our vocabulary? Like the way we're currently choosing to say ones and not units, and that it seems to be sort of someone has decided that. That seems and we're a deliberate that. thing, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Or do these things just change yeah, gradually? Yeah. I mean, things come in, into fashion, things become obsolete. Um, a good example is fractions used to be decimal fractions, vulgar fractions. Mm. So decimal fractions were what we call decimals, and vulgar fractions were what we call fractions. Oh, wow. So that's just, you know, a 
a, a change in we we simplified it because we didn't feel the need to say it's a mouthful decimal fraction, fraction vulgar fraction why not just say fraction and decimal but whereas they're all types of fraction why not why, why didn't they do, why wasn't it just decimal and vulgar well, because that's a horrible word. <laughs> you know what I mean, though, yeah. right? Like, that's so you're confu- right. That's because, confusing. Because it says changing. here, this is my family tree of fractions that I found in a book from the 70s. And it said Mr. and Mrs. Fraction, and their children are vulgar fraction, decimal fraction, <laughs> and percentage. And then it says, and there's another member of the family, ratio, who oh, nice. isn't on the yeah, tree. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But no, I don't really know. And then, but the thing is, at the moment, we are moving away from improper. Yes. So we can't say that. Why do you think we... So, do you, do you still say oh, improper yeah, of fraction? Of course I do. I'm Why do you think I'm we would not want to say improper fraction? I have the answer to this. I'm quizzing well, you. Well, we're not allowed to say well, it. Well, let's say that um, I'm telling you that there are American resource writers who, don't who say have improper. said, let's not use improper. And is it like a, um, a kind of political correctness thing? Mm, not, no. It no making, it's not, it's, making the fractions feel bad about oh, themselves. Oh, yes. No, kind of. Um, it's, to, it's to suggest that, yeah, uh, that a fraction not. can't have um, a bigger numerator... Right, so is suggesting that there's something wrong with that fraction. Um, So this, to me, seems a bit crazy, but apparently um, I think this is a step too far. But they're saying um, we shouldn't say convert. So we shouldn't convert between proper and improper fractions because we're not actually changing anything. So nothing's being converted. We're just changing. What are we doing? I don't know. And then um, we shouldn't say improper because it promotes the misconception that a proper fraction must be less than one. Now, I think, I mean, come on. Let's calm down a bit on... (laughs) It's, it's this language thing, but this is illustrative mathematics, which is a very, um, a, a really good American resource website. They've got some fantastic stuff, and they have a list of. Um, I read a blog post which talks about their style guidance or the things they're allowed to use in um, in their talks, in their sorry, in their resources, and it says you may not use the term improper fraction. Um, it says you must not use. Um, satisfy an equation instead you have to say make the equation true and you mustn't use um oh the ratio notation you have to be very careful about that so we don't want to say two centimeters to three centimeters instead we should say the ratio of the length to width is two to three so there's all these kind of style rules that they have that suggest um that the things we say at the moment are totally wrong um, anyway, so then in my talk, I go back to the 1800s, the 1700s, and the 1600s. So I won't do all that now because obviously I'm going to do this probably at a LaSalle conference one day. So I don't want to sort of have too many spoilers. Yeah. But the most exciting bit I get to, or my favourite bit, is where I talk about um, Robert Record. Do you know what Robert Record's famous for? Robert McCord. Record. Record. Yeah, record with an E at the end. He's really famous for Did inventing he, something. The recorder. Nope, he's a mathematician, and there's a certain symbol we use every day. Oh, wow, this is good. Uh, <laughs> he's a Welshman. He, is, it, is it a symbol on a calculator? Would it's it a symbol a... that's in everything you do in maths ever. Oh. Is it a number? No. No. The decimal point? No. No. Oh, that'd be good. No, that would be good. No, he invented the equal sign. Wow, so, that is a big sign. So, yeah, so and what he did was, this was in the 1500s. Now, he kind of wrote some of the very, very first maths uh, textbooks, and they're hard to read. Oh, I do a little lesson in my talk on um, how to read Old English. in a te- You know, oh. like when they have, when the S's look like F's and stuff like that. Okay. So I'm doing a whole Let's Translate Robert Record wow. thing. Um, but he, um, what he decided, oh, look, I've got a little thing for you here, Craig. So I've got three words written in Old English. Can, can you translate them? <laughs> okay, so I'll just describe for the listeners what's going on here. So I'm seeing the top one. It's like an eye test, this. I'm seeing like, a, it looks like an R, and then it's U-M-M-E. And what is this, like an English word? Yeah, yeah. 
so I've got to guess what the English word is. Yeah. So I'll give you a clue, that's not an R. Right. And is it a maths word? Yes. Number. No. Oh, that would be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, uh, Go on, give me that first one. S's used to look elongated, so this is an S. Some. It's some, yeah. And putting the M and the E on the end was totally normal. So, you know, you could just, they'd have these um, repeated consonants, they'd have random E's on the end. This one's uh, okay, de- I, divisor. I've had that one. I was oh, did say you have that one? Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Because say... U's and V's get confused. And what's that one? So I'm seeing an I, a U, an S and a T. Not necessarily a maths word. Give me one clue. It's just the only, it's only the first letter that's different to what you'd expect. Just. Yeah, it's just. Because I's and J's are just totally interchangeable. They're just the same letter. Wow. U's and V's, I's and J's. So it's really hard yeah, to read these yeah, books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've, I've tried to read them a bit, and I think they're, they're tricky to read. Um, so we're doing a bit of um, translation from that. Um, but the thing that was really interesting about Robert Record that's relevant to my talk is that he, when he wrote these books, there were no other books. And so he sort of thought that he could invent English words for things where there were words in Euclid in mm. Greek, but there were no English words. So, ah. for example, um, he said that points on a graph should be uh, pricks. <laughs> he said that... <laughs> is, that is that funny? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> it's a fun... Points on a graph. So you went for pricks there. You went for pricks to the points, yeah? Well, why not? Why Is that not? all right? Should yeah. we get, bring that one back? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, he said that a, uh, a cube should be a die. He's just going, okay, he's got a die there. Yeah, yeah. Die. Fine. And a tangent, a touchline. Okay? Jeez. Yeah. And so remember, there were no, he didn't want to use the Greek words. He wanted to invent English words for these things. An equilateral triangle, a three-like. A uh, isosceles triangle, a two-like. And a scaling triangle, a nun-like. Wow. Yeah, these are nice, aren't they? And this I one. Mean, I'm just. <laughs> you don't think we should call points pricks? Well, I'm just thinking of the tangent <laughs> and the points, like touchy prick. I mean, if you're, yeah, like, you're I, asking for trouble, you can see Yeah, I can see. I can um, see. Right angle, square angle, obtuse, blunt, and acute, sharp. So the thing is that obtuse and acute and these words, they all come from Latin or Greek. Wow. And he's, suggest- he's coming up with English terms. And why not? Because no one had written this books in yeah, English before. Yeah, yeah. So he's saying that I am writing these books and I'm going to bring these, I'm going to come up with my own words for them. What kind of years is this again? Sorry. Uh, this was like the 1500s. 1500s right. Yeah, late 1500s. So the thing is that um, someone then said to him, why did, when he talked about, when he wrote about proportion, mm. Why did he use the Greek and the Latin? And why did he not come, keep coming out of his own words? Because yeah. he was doing that in, when he talked about geometry. And he said, um, because there are no such names in the English tongue. And if I should give them new names, many would make a quarrel against me. Mm. So basically, he's inventing these new names for things. And people are trolling him for yeah, it. This well, is like Twitter of the 1500s. I can imagine this. People are saying, how dare you make up names? Let's use the Greek and the Latin. Don't make up your own English yeah. names for these things. So he gave up on it. And then all the words that he came up with just went into That's obscurity right. and are never used again. I mean, he's making it easy for the trolls with, with prick, isn't he? Like, <laughs> I can see what they're coming back with straight away. I, don't, I think, yeah, they didn't have that word then. I think, yeah, so he, he was totally... Um, he's ahead of his he, time. Though, he was ahead he? of his time. But the thing is that in Germany around the same time, someone tried to come up with German words that weren't based on the Latin and Greek, and it worked. So oh. Record um, kind of gave up. And it's a shame because because he gave up, we now have to teach um, pentagon and yes, rectangle yes, yes. and quadrilateral 
and all these words that are based in fact rectangle uh is that i don't know i guess and that's based on latin but yeah all this uh we we have loads of latin and greek in our vocabulary um because we called kind of gave up on it or it never it never caught on so um that is fast and none of his did any of his stuff catch on as far as you've come across nothing from record no there have been I mean, oh, oh, <laughs> you know, I have 130 slides here, so I must stop. But um, there are some things that I think are a shame that have gone. I mean, mm. oblong is interesting. Do you know what an oblong is? Well, I thought it was a rectangle. It is. And what, so what's, why is it not, what's different between an oblong and a rectangle? No, that I could not tell you. So, I thought it was like a bad word for a rectangle. No, that's the thing. And I think I was taught oblong at school. Mm. So I at primary school. So I always thought oblong was the primary school word. Yeah, for rectangle. that's exactly what I thought. No, it's not. So a rectangle has um, four right angles. Correct. And a square is a type of rectangle where all the sides are equal in Correct. length. And an oblong is a type of rectangle where the sides are not equal in length. So basically what we picture when we think of a rectangle. So if you think about oh, rectangle is the term yes, that covers yes, both square yeah. and... So so oblong is a type of rectangle, square is a type of rectangle. Wow. So oblong is actually a better term. That's but however, good. it's been totally... If you Google, this shocked me preparing this talk, I Googled oblong. And in America they use it totally, like I don't know what they've done with the oh, word oblong. Wow. I, came out, I came out of pictures of ovals ellipses and stadiums you know stadium being um a disco rectangle <laughs> do you know what i mean by that ed no. southall did a talk once where he told us that a stadium's a disco rectangle it's basically a rectangle with curved corners if you disco can picture that rectangle. yeah disco rectangle is an actual term for like that. a re like a racetrack like a racetrack yeah exactly so if you google oblong and go to google images you'll get ellipses ovals and stadiums wow um and and none of those things are oblongs and i don't know what's going on there like that's really odd but if you but anyway so i i this is fascinating this joe you know so i anyway what the other thing that was really interesting was if you look at current quadrilateral family trees that we use in classrooms mm. now i'm not saying like we we things are a bit wrong but that's how they've evolved so this is where we are now if we yeah. could go back and fix it i have i've come up with a fixed version okay. of it but the fixed version is not in our current vocabulary so i'm not suggesting we should change it but our current quadrilateral family tree this is what i found on randomly on google images okay quadrilateral at the top yeah. you come down into parallelogram yes. and we've also got kites and trapeziums but if we look at the parallelogram yes. area yes parallelograms are um let's see what a parallelogram has it has um, two sets of par two pairs of parallel sides, yes. and that's what makes it different from a trapezium and a kite. Yes. Yeah, so we've got two pairs yes, of parallel yes. sides, and then we come down into a rectangle which has four right angles, or a rhombus, which oh, has course, which yes. is a type of parallelogram, and then we have a square which is at the bottom. That's that's how this one looks. Yes. Okay. Diagram. Okay. Whereas if you look, you know, I've been reading loads of old maths dictionaries. Mm. I've been doing loads of research on this, and what we used to have was this parallelograms which is a parallelogram is a quadrilateral with two pairs of parallel sides okay. is broken down into three types of thing a rhombus a rhomboid or a rectangle oh, what's a rhomboid well, a rhomboid is what we when we picture parallelogram that's what so oh. a rhomboid was specifically a parallelogram so we've got rhombus which is no right oh, angles all sides of equal length and two pairs of parallel sides yes. then we had a rhomboid no right angles Two pairs of parallel sides of equal lengths, which makes it a parallelogram, um, but um, the sides aren't all equal. So rhomboid to parallelogram is like oblong to rectangle. Exactly, because then our final category of parallelogram is rectangles, and within that we've got oblong and square. Wow. So yeah, we've got rhomboid wow. and rhombus, oblong and square, uh, and, and we've nice. lo that's been lost. I know, I'm saying bring that back. 
Well, Can we I get know, that back now? I would like to bring that back, but I, I, you know, I don't know who, who the people are that control the vocabulary. But we can, we can, <laughs> we can take the mantle of what was it? Record. Yeah. And get this going. Rhomboid has totally gone. So no, I, I've if you look it up, it's I, I believe it's a parallelogram in Spanish or something. Um, oh. But it is totally that has disappeared totally. Um, and I, I, when I saw it in an old mass dictionary, and I was like, "Well, what's rhomboid? Never heard that before." And it took me a while to figure out it's a parallelogram, but it's a, it's different to a rhombus and it's different to a rectangle. I tell you what's letting rhomboid down is the oid. That's what. That's why that's gone. You know, because then you've got cuboid. You're confusing. Ah, what's the oid? This is interesting you said that because I, I think if I'm remembering right, I haven't got it in my notes here. When I was looking at the Wikipedia page for rhomboid, it said it's now used for something that's three-dimensional. Yeah, this is this is yeah. what's messed that up. So, they, so we need a different word for that. Yeah. But it is good to have that specific that's word fasc- that, that means that type of parallelogram. So, I mean, that I've got like a million more things, but you get the idea that I'm talking tomorrow about obsolete vocabulary and why we change the words we say and where those changes come from. And, and I'm not clear myself, but I've basically gone back. I've got a section on my talk from the 1900s, the 1800s, the 1700s and the 1600s. Wow. And um, I'm talking about some of the interesting things. But I could have put, I could have probably talked about this for four hours. Wow. So um, it's, there's so much interesting stuff. And it is very much just for interest and subject knowledge development. Um, you know, no one's learning how to teach vocabulary from this. Um, but hopefully people will find it interesting. Joe, that is absolutely fascinating. I'm going to let the listeners into a little secret. This is how professional co-host Joe is here. Mid-conversation, yeah, I've nipped to the toilet, <laughs> and it's just been seamless. I just give Joe the symbol, just that keep talking. Keep, just I just talking to to keep talking, keep talking. I was absolutely busting. I've knocked back this latte. It's gone right through me. But see, the professional she is, she's just kept going. Was, I, reckon, I reckon people will notice. It was, well, if you want to go back and see if you can pick the moment where I go, see if you see if you pick it up. But it was, so it was we've got seamless. some things to look up now. I need to look up Fluxion and check if it was Newton. Yeah, um, I need to apologise to D1 lovers who will laugh yeah. at me for mispronouncing. I, did, did, was it dis... Did, well, I'm saying Deekstra. But Dijkstra. some people say Dijkstra's, so okay. I could well be wrong there. Um, and then um, there, I'm sure there was other yeah, stuff we need play, to look up. All, and we, I need to share some um, some of the stuff I talked about on some tweets. Yes. So there will be, and um, there'll be links in the show notes. To certainly, we're going to link to that your blog post from years ago. We spoke. Oh about yeah, the Shell Centre one. Yeah. And what we'll do if there is anything else missing, if if you uh, tweet Joe and then she can always send it to me, and I can add it to the show notes um, over the coming weeks and so on and so forth. But we shall be back, um, if all goes to plan, tomorrow night, um, probably pre-quiz, where we'll reflect on the sessions that we've, we've been to. I'll also give you an update of how many burgers or what I had for tea uh, tomorrow night as well. Um, but yeah, thank you for, for checking out these Conference Takeaway podcasts. The, the aim with these are, and I know some people uh, get annoyed at these, um, it'll never replace going to the conference. But again, we're, we're very aware that, that me and Joe are looking, very lucky to be here and we're, we're trying to just share a couple of takeaways for the benefits of people who, who kind of can't be here. So hopefully... People get something out of these, but I'm very much aware, as I get told regularly, they are not for everybody. But you can't please everyone, can you, Joe? Definitely not. Definitely not. Okay, well, thank you very much, Joe Morgan. As always, it's been a pleasure. And myself and Joe will be back with ATM slash MA Conference 2019, day two takeaways tomorrow. You take care of yourselves, and bye for now.